This week on A Lively Experiment, the General Assembly is considering the first major changes to Rhode Island's open records law. And Governor McKee is proposing two years of taxpayer-funded tuition at Rhode Island College. But will lawmakers go along with it? A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the Reporters Panel this week, Providence Journal reporter Antonia Nuri Farzan, Boston Globe reporter Amanda Milkovitz, and Raymond Bakari, editor-in-chief of the Anchor newspaper at Rhode Island College. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Over the past decade, it has become increasingly difficult for reporters and the general public to get records that in many cases should be available to them. And that makes it more difficult to find out how the government you pay for works. Now lawmakers are considering a raft of changes, everything from how police body cam footage is released to making 911 recordings public and stiffer penalties for those who don't cooperate. Antonio, you've been leading the coverage on this. Um, you, uh, you, you had your first story in February and then the follow-up bill. Tell us where it stands right now. Yeah, so there's a bill that's been introduced in the Senate by Senator Palma. That one has not gotten a hearing yet. And in the House, there's a bill by Representative Solomon that did. Um, essentially, there's a pretty long laundry list of stuff they're looking to change. Some of it, I'd say most of it actually is not particularly controversial. But there are a few points that have been getting some pushback, um, mainly to do with police. They're looking to close the loophole so that you couldn't say, we're not going to release this body camera video because there's an ongoing investigation. And they're also looking to say records of internal investigations. If a police uh, officer has been investigated internally for some kind of misconduct, that would be public. Um, and also, they are trying to say that if you're redacting something, you know, I think we've all probably gotten public records requests that are just an entire <laughs> black page. Exactly. Three Sharpies yeah. worth, right? Right. Yep, yeah. So government agencies would have to explain, A, they couldn't charge you for doing that, and B, they would have to say, here's the law we're citing for why this is redacted. You know, here's the exemption of the law that applies to this. Your last story, a lot of government agencies stood out, came out responding to this. Were you surprised how many were there, or did you expect that pushback? No, I expected there'd be some kind of pushback to the everything that's being proposed. I just didn't know specifically where it would be. Um, it's interesting that the redactions is really where they came down. Um, essentially, their argument is that we don't have enough staff, we don't have the budget to be spending more time on defending ourselves here. So, Amanda, you and I, we've been doing this a long, all of us have been in the reporting ranks. Explain to the people watching, it's like, oh, is this an inside reporter thing? You know, why? Talk public about records. why APRI is key to the job that you do. Yeah, I mean, and not just my job. Public records are the people's records, the people's reports. I mean, it's not just the reporter who's asking for these records. Anybody has access to it. I mean, it's really key to democracy and understanding how our government works, how our public officials work, how our police departments work, where the money is being spent. I mean, they really, transparency equals accountability. This is what's really important. And I got to give a special shout out to Senator Lou De Palma. I, I don't often give politicians any shout outs ever but you know he sat down and listened to us from the New England First Amendment Coalition and before drafting these bills because he wanted to understand what the issues were and how he could be helpful and you know what he followed through I'm really impressed um, with the legislation when we support it with NEFAC as a journalist I support it as well I think uh, it would really solve a lot of problems uh, that 
that we run into in trying to get any type of reports. I mean, even the narratives for police reports. Right now, I get pushback from some police departments that say, well, I can't tell you, I can't release this report because we don't have an arrest. They often don't have arrests. Sometimes it's just a complaint of something that's going on. But they should err on the side of transparency and not on the side of, I'd rather not tell you anything. They should use Florida, basically, as the Florida that would be nice. gives you everything. That would be I, nice. I look at it uh, agreeing with Amanda. Transparency is key in this situation. At the end of the day, we're always on the side of the taxpayers and trying to get the truth out, explaining what's going on to those at home and those even outside of Rhode Island, what's going on here. Uh, our, in regard to the body cam footage being public record, our neighboring state, Connecticut, already does it. This bill, H5454, would do that and the other thing that Antonio had mentioned. And also, it reduces the amount of he said, she said, he said, she said situations once you have that footage out there. And the taxpayer dollars fund those body cameras and the police officer's mm -hmm. salaries. It's The public has the right to know. I think what makes it so aggravating, you look at other states. Look at the shooting in Nashville. Mm -hmm. They had that body camera footage the next day. Yep. This is just saying you'd have to produce it in 30 days. By that point, you're like, what, what was that crime we were talking about? So it's not like they're asking a lot, right? No. If you look through this legislation, a lot of it is just common sense. Like, for instance, saying you have to take public records requests by emails. And you might think, like, isn't everyone already doing that? Does this really need to be covered by Your the law? No, yeah, my colleague, that, right? Wheeler Copperthwaite, this week busted out a typewriter to put in a bunch of public <laughs> records. <laughs> Where did he get a typewriter? He actually collects typewriters. Uh, well, that's all, was, if he didn't have a typewriter, exactly. though, he would have been in trouble. Yeah, but I've had to do that, too. I'm sure you guys had to do that doing the snail mail request because mm -hmm. that's how... They, that's the only way they'll take the request. So you got to write a letter and stamp it and put it in the mail, which is ridiculous. Fax machines. Oh, actually, I'll just drive and I will hand it to them directly. I, I want to make sure it. they get it. I don't trust fax machines. I don't. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure that they get it. But it's foolish. The two things that struck me was recording of 911 calls. Mm. It said released if there's good cause. Who's making that decision, mm -hmm. right? And the other thing is emails. And I remember first hearing about this. You remember when Sarah Palin was running for vice president and they got that whole tranche of emails. So, of course, every reporter in the market, I immediately called the governor's office and said, hey, can we get the emails from? They're not public record. Can you imagine? It's what you said, Raymond. Public server, public taxpayer money, public. It's not your private email. Right. And they're not doing What if it's that? on a device, too, that's uh, subsidized by the taxpayer dollars? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you have much hope that this is going to go through? Any, I mean, look, you hope for the best, but that a couple of these things would go through? I think there's support, but we'll see. You know, I, I think, again, Senator Lou De Palma is really behind this. Uh, a number of senators and representatives are really behind this. I think they see the necessity. I mean, you talked about what happened in, in Nashville. Let's talk about Uvalde. And, and the change, how important it was to see what really happened there and what a disastrous police response it is. That's what we're looking at. It's not just police, but, you know, like, like Antonio said, they can do it. Remember the first time um, the, the province police department had body-worn cameras and they said, don't worry, we're going to release the, the body, we'll release the video if we have a shooting. They had a shooting on the highway. They released all the information the next day. So it's possible. Yeah, the videotape doesn't mm -hmm. lie. What's the one thing as a reporter that you would like to see change? Oh, my God. I actually think what we were just talking about with the emails is crazy because it's elected officials, essentially, a mayor, governor, who their emails are not considered public record. But if it's internal staff, those emails you can get as a public record. So that's just crazy that elected officials who we are voting for are not subject to that same accountability as someone who, say, is like a 
clerk or something. Okay, so stay tuned. The next step would be a hearing for Senator Palmer's side, right? Correct. And we'll see what happens. All right, uh, it's another week. It's another raft of candidates throwing their hat in for CD1. Aaron Regenberg, who came very close, to a former state rep, came close to uh, knocking off Governor McKee when he was running for lieutenant governor years ago. He has thrown his hat in the race, raised a lot of money. Marvin Abney, House Finance Chairman, it sets up a very interesting thing now. I think we're, you're, you're, the Globe's count is like we're at 15 people now. I think we're at a dozen, yeah. and, you know, and more to come. I mean, who knows? It'll all sort itself out. What do you, you think? Know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who has the money, who has the name recognition, who has the charisma. Yeah. Um, were you surprised yeah. Arlene did, decided not to run? She, two no. weeks, actually, two weeks ago, she was sitting in your chair. I know, I know, and no, I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I, I think, you know, maybe she tested the waters, but she's very savvy, very astute. It takes a lot to run a race. It takes a lot to run a race, and then it takes a lot to be in Congress Yeah. and, and to be in Washington, D.C., and I think she looked at it and thought, no, maybe not this time. Aaron Regenberg makes for an interesting dynamic, does he not? Yes, he's definitely going to get quite the amount of uh, progressive voters behind his back. He's already raised $154,000 just one day, like less than 24 hours after announcing. He's also started to stack up endorsements. He got support from the east side of Providence City Councilors, Sue Anderbois and Helen Anthony, alongside a couple of state reps representing Pawtucket. Leonella Felix and Jerry Cruz are the reps from Pawtucket that are supporting him. He's even got some CD2 folks uh, supporting him, Rep Potter and Rep Cotter. They their support on Twitter for him. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, especially getting that much in one day. There's definitely going to be a machine behind him. Marvin Abney's from your backyard. Uh, talk about your Newport gal from way back. Parents still down there. How much, you know, Newport always kind of, Aquitic Island always feels like it gets lost. I wonder that versus the population in Providence. Marvin Abney running, I wonder how that affects in terms of being able to pull in votes. Yeah, I mean, I we do get lost. I agree with that. Um, and I think he's definitely someone who's very respected. I think the issue, though, with him and also with so many other candidates who are running are how many people really know who their state rep is or who their state senator is. In we Newport, know who he we is. We know. Yeah. yeah, I know. But I don't know how many other people down there. I don't know that that's strong name recognition the way, say, the mayor has down there. And I think also what you get down to, um, essentially, yeah, name recognition also he and I believe also Senator Oyer who dropped out. Um, or I guess wasn't officially running, but has now endorsed another candidate and said she's not going to run. They both, I believe, have been unopposed for the past couple of cycles, so it's not like there's even really been a competitive election down there. People have just been checking the one box that's on their ballot. So I, I do think that's a challenge. Who else are you going to be looking for? Uh, <laughs> I think Dan, my colleague Dan McGowan has a running list of those who, never say never, could, could throw their hats in the ring. You know, could it be a mayor? Um, could it, I think you know people are calculating who's in the race, who they're going to be able to raise money from. If, if people are already backing Aaron Regenberg, are they going to be able to pull any money from the east side? I, there's I, only so much money, right? There's only so much money, and there's only so much in, interest, and only so much bandwidth for the public. So, okay, you've got a dozen candidates. Which one do you really want? Are you surprised Don Grebian hasn't? He, you know, he talked about it a couple of months ago. I think he told Tara Granahan, mm -hmm. "I'm I'm leaning more toward than against." He's had his own issues in Pawtucket. It's it, I wonder with all these other people coming out whether again that would scare somebody away. It might scare him away. He also is really busy right now. He's got Tidewater to to think about. He's got things. the Memorial Inter Hospital. He's got interest rates. He's looking at every yeah, day, right? Yep, yep, yep. I mean, the city's very complicated right now. Is it a good time to to jump out and try to you know throw his hat in the ring? I'm not sure. 
What, um, anybody else that you have your eye on? Uh, Mayor of East Providence, Bob De Silva, still hasn't ruled it out. Last one I checked, he was still seriously considering it. Gabe uh, Amo, who yeah. mm -hmm. recently just resigned his job from the uh, Biden administration. I believe your colleague uh, Dan had uh, broke that story, so yeah. that's definitely a name to look at. And I believe Don Carlson, uh, Ian Donis of the Public's Radio, uh, reported that first. He's tentatively scheduled to announce on the 16th, I want to say. Right. And then you wonder, Antonio, would they come up with a Republican? I mean, it almost seems like a sacrificial race at this point, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I'm, I'm sure someone will come up, but will it be a serious contender? I don't know. That's All fine. right. Stay tuned. I'm sure we'll have even more people next week. Raymond, let me stay with you. Uh, you know, we talked for years on this set about the Rhode Island Promise, the taxpayer-funded tuition for CCRI students. Raymond, you have been all over the governor. Every time he turns around, Raymond Bakari's up in his shorts, figuratively. Um, they, it, there was an announcement that really didn't get a lot of statewide play about a scholarship for Rick students. So talk about that. Right. So uh, last week, Rick was the center of not one but two major budget amendments filed by the governor. One was to fund a four-year, three a $4 million three-year budget for a cybersecurity institute and emerging technologies that would be at RIC, led by Congressman Langevin, a proud RIC alumnus, alongside the HOPE Scholarship, which is proposed to have $9.4 million in uh, state fiscal recovery funds funding and $1 million from RIC's institutional financial aid. What it is is it subsidizes the last two years of tuition for the juniors and seniors at RIC, and for those who didn't get the Promise Scholarship, which covers the first two years at CC, you have to have a 2.5 GPA, 60 credits, uh, be in good standing, things of that nature. It's also got support from legislators, Rep McNamara in the House, Senate Majority Leader Ryan Pearson in the Senate. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how it unfolds, you know, how much money goes to it, if it ends up being in the final budget. There was but, some confusion as to whether transfer students could get it. Were you able to yeah, iron so that out? Is there still confusion? It, it's as long as you have, uh, you're a Rick going into your junior or senior year at RIC from what I was told and you have the 2.5 GPA 60 credits and this if you got the promise you can't get this. Antonio we what's interesting to me is now the governor's pushing this but if that didn't make the first cut of his budget that's always kind of a tough lift isn't it because then the house speaker will say okay 9.4 million we got to find that somewhere else right? Yeah totally agree yeah I mean, I'll be curious to see how much support there is for this. I think there is definitely some awareness that's been growing that Rick has been struggling, um, but I don't know how much momentum there is behind actually fixing that this year. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, too. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure the momentum's really there for it. But and then there's a lot of people who say, look, I paid for my kids to get through college. Why should we be subsidizing all the... I know there are arguments on each side, but there is that argument. And this late in the session, maybe it's a feel-good legislation, but will it really go through? Is it really going to have the support in the General Assembly? You also have to look at it... I look at it as a student who attends Rick and is a student leader of two organizations. Uh, the declining enrollment's a major issue, and there's very little what you can do internally to fix that, you know, PR and things of that nature, but there's got to be something done legislatively, especially as Jim, you and I know, the Rhode Island promises really hurt Rick's enrollment, despite, uh, you know, some disagreeing with that, it really has hurt, because why go to Rick if you can go to the first two years at CC? Mm -hmm. Do those people who end up finishing their two years, do they finish the two years at CC? Do they go to URI? Do they end up even going to Rick after? It, it really hurt the college. So, the other thing with the cybersecurity and Langevin coming, what, what struck me is in, in your article, we're going to take money from here, we're going to take money from here. Rick has no money. So what is this? They said, Rick said, we're reallocating money. From, from where? That's a good question. I uh, did ask Dr. Warner at the press conference. He told me that uh, Rick has the money. When I asked in a follow-up from where, he basically said that there was reallocations from areas with low enrollment to areas with high I didn't really get a specific area cited that the reallocations were from, but he 
did uh, say that confidently say that the Rick has the money and that that two million from the Rick resources would be mostly for the staff is what he explained to me. Uh, Raymond, let me again stay with you. Uh, you're doing I, full disclosure, and you, those who've watched us before, I'm the uh, the advisor for the newspaper, so I've been with Raymond the last couple of years as he's been a um, staff writer. You're doing a se uh, senior project, yep. and it's interesting because of who we have on the set. Talk about. Absolutely. So I'm currently in the honors program at Rhode Island College. Um, my project is going to be a documentary focus on Generation Z's emerging role in politics. As we've seen in 2018, 2020, and 2022, the generation is just bursted with excitement in terms of voting, participating at record rates, voting at record rates, also winning offices. We're seeing Gen Zers in Congress now with Maxwell Frost winning in Florida in 2022, and even major party nominees like Caroline Levitt in New Hampshire's uh, first congressional district. And we've seen recently the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, race the Democrat-leaning judge won by 11 points. Issues like abortion rights, LGBTQ plus rights, addressing, addressing gun violence are issues that are very much so on Gen Z's minds, and they're showing that at the voting booth. You wonder, too, you see what happened, we talked about Tennessee mm -hmm. again, and whether the Republicans may have misjudged and awakened a sleeping beast there, right? Mm, definitely. I'm curious if you know, we were just talking about CD1, do you see that having an impact? Well, we'll have to see. Uh, it's going to be a low turnout, a lower turnout election than usual, and it's in an off-year uh, post-Labor Day primary. So we'll have to see. I mean, Gen Zers are voting at record rates, so I mean, it, appealing to young people is definitely key in any election at this point. What about where they fit in now in the in the political? Spectrum? Oh, they're so powerful. I love this generation. I, I think uh, we're going to really see them make a huge impact on politics. I mean, Raymond's definitely right about that. I mean, it's not just the abortion issue. I'm really looking at what's going to happen with guns. This is the generation that's been growing up with um, active shooter drills in their schools. Imagine that. Think about that. You're a first grader, and you're learning to hide from hide a bad closet, guy with a gun. Right? Yeah. And now you're 18, 19 years old, and you're looking at, you know, there's no progress or there's no conversation, really, when it comes to doing something about the guns that are being wielded by, you know, on the street, in the schools, in, in, in banks, in grocery stores. I think this is a really angry generation and they have a right to be angry. I think it's not just guns. We're going to see really some activity because of climate change. And Antonia brings up a great point. What is the impact going to be in CD1? I mean, for example, Arlene Violet, we know Arlene Violet. Does the younger generation know Arlene Violet? No. Is that another reason why and that she may said have been this part is of not a calculus, you know? It could be. I mean, Aaron Regenberg, yes, I remember him when he ran, you know, against, uh, you know, now Governor McKee. But that's half a lifetime ago for it a lot of people, It is a while right? ago, and yeah. there's a whole emerging class. I, I am really encouraged by this younger generation. And social media is a big component, too. We're seeing a lot of elected officials use TikTok now regularly, yep. uh, being on Twitter. That's kind of frightening. 50-year-old <laughs> guy using TikTok. <laughs> yeah, well, my right. daughter has been, she's banned me from using Instagram because she doesn't want me following all of her stuff going on. There's <laughs> members of Congress now using TikTok to get their message out to the youth, telling them, hey, here's what I stand for. Here's the bill I introduced. It's definitely going to be a, a game changer. We're so into, we follow politics for a living, but I wonder in your circles that you walk in, are other people clued in, I mean, maybe not as much as we are, enough to get them to the polls? I wonder how engaged people, the disease and the, and the millennials. What do you think? I wonder that too, yeah. And I was, it was actually interesting talking to Ray just down the green room. I didn't even realize that we do have some legislators here in Rhode Island who are considered Gen Z. I kind yep. of just assumed everyone was a millennial, but we actually do have people who are in that generation. Those are definitely the more progressive, younger lawmakers who, yeah, are out on TikTok or whatever they're using. So I don't know, it's quite possible they know something I don't and have a way of getting people out. 
One of the people you spoke to, John Delavolpe, is the he's the pollster at Harvard, and I was on a panel a year ago at Johnson and Wales. His book uh, basically focuses in on where Gen Z and the millennials. And I, the mm -hmm. first thing I did was what, exactly what you talked about: gun violence. A lot of uh, people's parents may have had uh, issues during the recession of mm -hmm. 2008. Mm -hmm. Climate change, the pandemic, housing. The, Let's housing. talk about that. that we're, they can't move out. They can't yeah. move anywhere. Yeah. Exactly. You, so and, you're really stuck in your parents' yeah, basement and, by and default. What better way to have a voice than to get involved in politics? The first thing, the first thing I did after I read that book was I called my 25-year-old twins and I apologized. I said. <laughs> You know, they're ah, you have a tough life. You got the internet. You know, and then I had to go to the library. I sounded like the classic old man. And I realized all the things that they had to go through and how, you know, we always thought uh, the generation's going to be better for our kids. Mm. Now, do you think about climate change a lot? Do you think about climate change a lot? Um, yeah, I mean, I think about it like yesterday when it was 88 degrees at my house, and I think about when there's flooding when you're just trying to drive down a road. Absolutely, yeah. It, I think it just kind of comes up naturally. And I mean, I think, yeah, that's one of the many things. I think also like what Amanda said about housing is so true. You know, if you're a young person who your parents own a house, you're looking at you're never going to be able to. I, you're just going to get angry. Mm -hmm. And COVID is up there on the, the right. list of issues, too, that really affected this generation. I, myself, was in the class of 2020 for high school. I didn't even get to walk the stage for, for my graduation, and I didn't see you in person at, at Rick until my sophomore year. Yeah, our whole mm. freshman, your whole freshman year, you didn't get the Jim Hummel in-person in experience. Um, your whole <laughs> freshman year, we they ran the paper via Zoom. I mean, think of that. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, was in, it was insane. And how frustrating And it, it definitely uh, affected a lot of people's mental health, without a doubt. Absolutely, and still is. Yeah. I also wonder, though, Amanda, because, you know, when we covered all those the congressional races years ago, like when Patrick Kennedy, mm -hmm. he would feed all the elderly people. He'd go to Fogarty Manor, and then they'd have the buses. You could yep. always rely on the older people, because a lot of them, not so much anymore, but they were the World War II generation, and voting was mm -hmm. sacred. And they kind of blew off the young people thinking, that eh, they'll never go and vote. I think that's flipped. I think that the older people do vote. But the younger people have more vote of motivation now, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I saw it actually outside the, uh, the general election. I was in Cranston last year, and the expectation was that, um, you know, former Mayor Fung was going to pull it off. I knew he wasn't going to, and I could tell um, because of the rumbling over abortion. And um, the people who were coming out, a lot of the younger people were upset about that issue. And they're like, we're not going to have a Republican representing Rhode Island because of this. So, yeah, there is a motivation here. And, and for many different reasons. I mean, you talk about college, you know, let's talk about student, student loan debt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Let me stay with you. Uh, so I've been trying to get Amanda on Lively for months. And she goes... I'm sorry, I got this big story I'm working on. I'm like, how big can this story be? <laughs> well, then I saw it drop last month with Michael Mata. Yeah. So we can't get into the whole thing, but set the table for, how did you come across this story? I came across it because a, a couple former associates uh, spoke to me in January 2022 and said, you should look into this. And when I started to poke around, I thought, this is the craziest bingo card I've ever seen. Because it's Sopranos, it's, it's Hollywood mobsters, but it's He's awesome. a local guy. He's a local, he's a Portuguese guy. He grew up in North Providence. He went to Rhode Island College. He went to Providence Another College. Another Rhode Island College. <laughs> Rhode Island College. <laughs> it's like, I don't know where they want to associate with this one. There is actually uh, a dark room that's named after him, the Michael Mata, uh, I think it's a photography room over at Rhode Island College. Great, check that out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, first floor of the Alex and Ani building, where he um, had worked for a marketing company that took over. He was not the vice president of Alex and Ani, despite what he uh, told people after um, he was terminated. He just there. wore a couple of bangles. <laughs> 
But um, his his claim to fame uh, was that he started a company called Virtual Cons, which is meant to be virtual conventions. Sopra he loves the Sopranos. I mean, I can't There's even tell There's a little bit of irony no. in that name, isn't there? That's what a lot of people pointed out to me, and that's really what I've been looking into. I mean, he's being chased for money across multiple states. Now it's up to, I think, $775,000 in lawsuits. That's everything from small business loan to a guy who was a disc jockey at one of his conventions to Harris down in New Jersey that hosted one of the conventions and says he owes $274,000. He's involved with former Memorial Hospital. Uh, where he claims that he's taking over the mortgage. That's that he, what we would know, Memorial and then Skyline. Skyline, Skyline. So, yeah, once I started poking around. The I, restaurant that oversees Waterplace Park. It is a gorgeous place. It is an absolutely gorgeous place. And that's where people have their weddings, their, their New Year's Eve parties, um, and banquets, political events. And he's been the CEO there, and the city says that he owes them money. And because that there is, he has, it, well, until recently, had not been paying rent um, for the last couple of months. So he's in a fight right now with the city. His lawyer is claiming that they didn't have to pay the city the extra money, that there was an abatement that had been signed by them. Or not signed. There, there was an abatement that was drafted. This is, the city said, we never signed it. They have granted him multiple abatements for a variety of reasons, renovations, for example. But uh, um, they received uh, 32 months um, of, of an abatement that was supposed to expire last August. But in order to do that, they had to prove that they did the renovations they said they would do. Um, the city says they never shown. They have never shown it. They received um, close to $2 million in COVID money. Wow. I'm not sure where that money went to. I haven't been able to get an answer on that. And Memorial Hospital is just... A mess. Another good argument for investigative journalism, right? 100%. If it had not been for our good old-fashioned APRA laws, I would not have been able to help investigate well, that Well, it ties story. back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? The APRA. emails, the documents, the lease agreements, text yeah. and messages. And that's why it takes so long to peel back the onion. Mm -hmm. Two so, months. Good work. Thank uh, you. Stay tuned. All right, let's go to uh, outrageous and or kudos. And Antonia, let's begin with you. What do you have? Um, my outrage was that I found a mosquito in my backyard yesterday on <laughs> April 13th. It's way too early for that. Are you worried about Triple E? I'm worried about getting skin whites in April and also, yeah, the fact that it's going to be 88 degrees. That is outrageous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you have? Okay, so I already gave a kudos to Senator Lou De Palma. I'm now going to just say how much I am enjoying the Providence College men's basketball coach, uh, Kim English. Yeah, he's really, ah, he's knocking Is it he out. fun? Yeah. He's so much fun. And we were all depressed after Coach Cooley left. And he comes in, he's young, he's hungry, he's engaging, the, he's engaging the entire community, he's recruiting really well. I mean, I listen to Kevin McSports Hour, so that's how I, I have somewhat of a clue of what's going on with basketball, but just as a Is fan, that a new name, Kevin so McSports Hour? The Kevin McSports Hour, yeah, Kevin Mac. Numera, but um, I am just so enjoying it and can't wait for the season to start. I read yesterday that English, there was a guy who had decommitted. You know, mm -hmm. the transfer portal is just, it's throwing everything upside down in a good way and a bad way, yep. for, depending on how you look at it. There was a guy, very high Coach Cooley uh, commit, who decommitted and then English brought him back in, right. which I think that's a real testament to. That's not easy to do. No, it's not. So you, can, you hardly wait for basketball season. I you cannot wait. wait. I'm ready. Five months. Yeah. So. Raymond, what do you have? So my kudo and outrage kind of play off each other. Each other. So my kudo is S0859, a Senate bill introduced by Senators Matt, Zurier, and Bell, which lets municipalities, cities, and towns uh, impose a 2% tax on the endowments of private higher education institutions. So in Providence, that would apply to Brown, RISD, PC, JWU. And the outrage is how these private higher ed institutions don't pay their fair share. As a resident of Providence, my road is crumbling. We don't have the basic 
City Services in my neck of the woods. Uh, we have you know, rats running up to you as soon as it gets dark outside. Brown really should be paying their fair share so the province can get things, get the ball rolling on fixing things in terms of services and even the pension system, which is like a ticking time bomb at this point. Mayor Smiley has made that, uh, you know, he came out of the gate saying that was one of his top legislative priorities. Is and, But I think other mayors have used the stick and they've threatened legislation. He seems to be using the carrot with some of the higher education, going to the presidents and saying, look, you really do need to kick in more and you should see that. You think that's going to be effective or... We'll have to see. I don't want to give any bold predictions on what happens with this legislation or uh, on the efforts, but, you know, just the overall topic, Brown, PC, Rizzi, Jay Wood, they just need to pay their fair share, plain and simple. Okay. Folks, thank you. That is all the time we have. Raymond and Antonia and Amanda, the, the future, the present, soon to be the current. past. <laughs> yeah, well, the current and past. We'll see. No, it's nice to see uh, some, uh, some of the best in the business join us. Folks, thank you for joining us. If you can't see us uh, Friday at 7 on the air or Sunday at noon, we archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. Of course, we're on social media. Check out our Facebook page and Twitter and our podcast. The numbers are growing. So uh, if you can't do any of that, take us along in your pocket for a walk or maybe as you're driving along. Um, come back next week. We don't know how many people will have announced for CD1, but you will know exactly who they are and we'll have the full analysis. Come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by hi i'm john hazen white jr for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face rhode islanders i'm a proud supporter of this great program and rhode island pbs